Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Amen. Well, I'm excited that you made it here today. Um, I, uh, I have a word. We've been in our prayer series for about five, six weeks now. And uh, I have a word that I want to share with you on prophecy. I want to thank you, Stephen, for reading that text. Church, can you thank him for that? I apologize for my glow today. It's not from the presence of the Holy Spirit. I just was out in the sun for about five uh, five hours yesterday, so I am glowing. Or it just could be the presence of the Lord. Who knows, right? Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, man, I'm so glad you made it here today. All right, man, the sun's out. It's fall season. Football starting today. Excited, a little disappointed about my Cowboys, but hey, I think we might have a good year this year. All right. I've shared the story before, but it's about my daughter, Whitney. And uh, I was talking, I actually had uh, three, we call them our our big three. And uh, my older set of twins were sitting down with Whitney. And I was walking them through the miracles of the Bible. And so uh, I was kind of talking about how Jesus walked on the water and some healing stories. And I was kind of just talking to them about how God does miracles today. And then my, my daughter stopped me in the middle of this teaching moment. How dare you stop me, daughter, right? Like I was in the flow. And she goes, Dad. Everyone say, Dad. Dad. She goes, thank you. for That's exactly how it sounded. She's like, Dad, the Bible is just history, right? And I remember yelling down to my wife, what are you teaching our children? And so I stopped and I had to like, I had to talk to her and the boys because the boys were nodding, right? The, the Bible is just history, right? And so um, I'm like, okay, either this is a genuine question that they have or I'm raising three Bible skeptics. Lord, have mercy. I'm a pastor. I need to disciple my children. But this is what I essentially told them a lot I, I dumbed it down a lot more, but essentially I had to tell them, hey, the Bible is, yes, it's historical uh, drama, or we can say it's historical narrative, but it isn't just history. In fact, the historian will tell you, are you with me? Okay, the historian will tell you that history is the study of the unrepeatable. So, for example, Thomas Jefferson and our founding forefathers will never sign the Declaration of Independence again. Thankfully, in 1969, Woodstock will never be repeated, as well as my seventh grade year. And everybody said amen to that. If you had a bad year in elementary school, thank God we don't have to go through that again, right? Unfortunately, because of history, the Dallas Cowboys, and this is how God has designed creation, the Dallas Cowboys in the early 90s will never win three Super Bowls in four years. Very disappointing. That's history. And some of you are like thinking, oh my God, what are we talking about history, right? Well, it's going to get worse. Here's the thing. The saying, history repeats itself, is demonstrably false. History literally cannot repeat 
itself. But here's the good news. History certainly rhymes. It doesn't repeat. It rhymes. This means that God has designed history around patterns. Okay, you hearing me? We call this, like this is fancy biblical talk, narrative typology. Uh, In other words, or in essence, what God has done in the past is a reminder. What we see in the Bible is a reminder of what God will do in the present and what God will do in the future. So here's the thing. My daughter's biggest concern was, Dad, can God really do what he did in the Bible today? That's essentially what she was saying. I mean... Are there any more David and Goliath stories? Can Jesus, this was in, this is essentially loaded in her question, um, the Bible's history. She's essentially saying, can Jesus still heal today? Are miracles still possible? Last week we talked about how prayer is entering into this interactive conversation with the active voice of the Holy Spirit. Can that still happen today. And I think like my daughter, there are many people in the church in this moment, in this current moment, that feel dislocated from the story of, of, of the Bible. They unconscious, in other words, they have unconsciously embraced this idea that the Bible is just history. And it's not just history. And yes, history can't repeat itself, but history certainly rhymes, which means that what God has done in the past, God will also do in the future. What we see God doing and how God is in the Bible 2,000 years ago is the same God that we serve today. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as your pastor, I want to say, yes, you and I can enter into an interactive conversation with the active voice of the Holy Spirit. Come on, somebody. I want to say, and this is going to be a little bit weird. I want to say, yes, in fact, there was a little time heist. I get this from the Avengers, a little time heist that happened through Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection in that the past was dramatically um, forced into the present of our lives. Through Jesus, which simply means that God still speaks today. God is still at work in creation, even though we can't see him at work in creation. Yes, even though the the events that have transpired in Afghanistan, God is still at work. God is still at work, depending if you, it doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right on the political spectrum. God is still at work in our politics, in the White House. Come on, somebody. God is still healing today and he hasn't stopped. God is a God of miracles. And it is true that we will never have a literal David and Goliath story, but we certainly can have like a Rob Ash who is defeating the giants that play young men today. What? I wish you were, I I can't wait for second service because they're really going to shout me down. So as your pastor, I want to say, yes, God is still at work in our lives. However, the crisis we're facing right now is not what's happening somehow outside the church. 
outside the walls of our gathering, right? The crisis, and it certainly is a crisis, but the, the fundamental crisis is not over politics to our pandemic, right? I know there's a lot of Christians on social media that are posting a lot of their opinions on what's happening out there. Right or wrong, that's not the fundamental crisis. The crisis that's happening right now is in the walls of the church, and it's over Will we believe that God still actively speaks today? No? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So the world can throw the entire kitchen demonic sink at us. And it doesn't phase us if we truly understand that if God is with us, who can be against us? So the crisis is not over what's happening from politics to pandemics. The crisis, and those are important issues, the crisis is over whether we here right today, right now, will believe that God speaks to us. In fact, a long time ago, while teaching at Yale, Henry Nouwen made the declaration that every, or that even among seminarians, the dominant consciousness was agnostic. And then one commentary commented on this, and he said, essentially what that means is that God had no place even among people talking about religion and preparing for Christian ministry. That's the crisis. So we come to our teaching passage with a smile today. And it's about prophecy. Like some of you are like saying, oh, great, Chris. I just brought my friend. And now you're inviting us all to become weird. And the next week we're all going to be handling snakes and drinking cyanide poison like a cult leader in West Texas. Like when you bring up prophecy, people are like, oh my God, no, 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 no. And I get it, I get it. On on one level, many of us, if you've been in a charismatic church or maybe you've heard about charismatic churches, you've seen or have heard or experienced the abuse of the prophetic gift. I get that, but here's the thing. Um, A misuse of a gift doesn't mean we should reject the right use of of a gift. And I think many of us have thrown out the prophetic gift with the spirit bathwaters because we've seen the misuse of it. And I get it. I get it. There was one time I said, I, I told my parents when I was like 19, I am done with this church because there's way too many weirdos. That was 25 years ago. Most of you weren't here. You guys are not weird. And I'm being a little bit hyperbolic, but it was one of those emotional moments where I'm like, I want God more than anything. I'm just sick and tired of being weird. Here's the thing. The spirit of God is not weird. People are weird. And we love all people. I'm not saying we hate weird people. We love people. But here's, I just want to insist that the misuse of prophecy does not validate or justify um, not using the prophetic gift. It's really important. But I think the biggest issue though, back to the crisis that we're facing within the church, as it relates to prophecy, 
is, is really simple, is that there's this imperceptible agnosticism lurking in our churches. Do we expect, in other words, God to move? And not just on a Sunday, but do we, do we expect that God's presence is alive and robust and real in our daily lives? Do we? That's a question that I want us to wrestle with this morning. That's where we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is in the words of one pastor, and I agree with him, is a biblical manifesto on God's active voice in the church. Before I, before I move further and talk a little bit more about that, I just want to define prophecy as this. Prophecy is simply God speaking through us for the sake of an individual or group. Do we believe that God speaks today? Yeah. Do we believe that God speaks or can speak through us for the sake of an individual or group? Yes. So the expectation as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in, in our passage today, the expectation of the early church was prophecy was normal, not marginal. Some of you are sweating. You're like, oh my God, we're going to, we're about, he's about ready to break out the, the snakes. I know, I get it. I get the hesitancy when it comes to speaking on prophecy. But it's so important that we, we ground ourselves in biblical orthodoxy and in scripture itself. And it's very clear that the early church was not surprised if God should speak through someone to someone else on a consistent basis. Furthermore, the New Testament has a prophetic shape to it. We have instructions on the proper use of the prophetic gift in Romans, in Corinthians, in Thessalonians, in Timothy, epistles to Peter, Jude, and the book of Revelation. In fact, one pastor comments on this, this prophecy or the prophetic gift and says, if you were, if you're looking at the entire biblical story, if you were to take or remove the prophetic from the story of the Bible, you would have no story left. The God of the Bible, in other words, is prophetic. He spoke to and through Abraham and Jacob and Hagar and Deborah and David and Isaiah and Daniel and Peter and Paul. And he speaks to Pastor Mark today and Shane and Sydney. Come on, somebody. And Kathleen and any Greg out there. He still speaks today. Why? Because history rhymes. What God has done in the past, God will do in the future and in the present. One quick story, my, my wife and I, we were listening to a pastor. He's a famous pastor, has written many books, have much respect for him. He's doing incredible work in um, L.A. And he tells a story of when he came to faith. It was a coming to faith story. And he grew up uh, an atheist, I believe, maybe agnostic. And uh, he had a radical encounter with uh, Jesus. And then after this encounter, about 10 days had passed, he went back to home and he met up with a nun. 
and this nun uh, came up to him and she was running kind of this interdenominational uh, group where a lot of different denominations were coming together and she was kind of orchestrating it. And she didn't really know this particular young man who was 20, who had just gotten saved. And she looks at him and says, said, I want you to uh, be responsible for the next six weeks. And we're talking these lead pastors coming together, right? And talking about faith together, which back then, this was about maybe 30, 35, maybe 40 years ago, would have been um, radical, right? Subversive. It just didn't happen. She said, I want you to organize the spiritual, at least 10 minutes at every meeting that we have, the spiritual atmosphere of our meetings. His response was, do you know who you're talking to? I just gave my life to Jesus. I don't even, I don't even know what the Bible means, most of it, right? And then this is what this nun said. I, I, her name was Sister Marjorie, I think it was. And she said, hey, Erwin, uh, a couple days ago, God gave me a dream about you that you were going to make a big difference in the kingdom of God and that you were supposed to do this. I know, I think it's crazy too. But the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Acts chapter two, we, we read it. When the spirit of God, and I'm gonna talk more about this in the days to come, but when the spirit of God is poured out, what will happen? You will prophesy and dream dreams and visions. What is a dream? A dream by, by the definition of prophetic is prophetic. A dream is what? God speaking to you, sometimes about your life, but also God can give you dreams about other people, right? So God is at work in our world today. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1 says, pursue love. That word pursue uh, comes from a lot of different words. It's built out of the word that we get deacon, which means servant or minister. So it says to, to be a minister of love. And everyone said amen to that. Not only pursue love, but earnestly desire. And I'm going to talk about this here pretty quick. But earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Let me unpack this really quick. For a couple chapters, Paul has been talking about the spiritual gifts as, as it's translated in our English translations. I think according to my professor who thinks that's a bad translation and I agree with him, I think the best way to translate spiritual gifts, what we find in 1 Corinthians 12 and then what we read today in 1 Corinthians 14 is uh, we should call it spirituals. Spiritual gifts implies that there are certain people that have the gift and then most of us don't, right? It implies this divide or this division in the church. And Paul does not mean that there's a division of gifts um, in the church. So Paul is unpacking this idea of the spirituals. Everyone say the spirituals. And I've talked about this stuff before, but the spiritual simply means it's the stuff that the spirit of God does in all of us. So there's no hierarchy of well, a few people have the prophetic gift and the rest of us, we're just left with crumbs. So that's in first, that's first Corinthians chapter 12. Then Paul then moves to first Corinthians chapter 13 and says, Hey, but above all, we live by self-giving love, the way of love, the way of Jesus, self-sacrificing way of life is the way for us. That's the highest. Can I get an amen? 
But then he moves into 1 Corinthians 14 and says, yes, pursue love, right? That's the highest aim. Everything we do is filtered through love, but earnestly desire the spirituals. That's how I'm going to translate it, especially that you may prophesy the word of the Lord. So what does prophecy do? What Paul is saying is prophecy is something that should be normalized in our churches. Verse three, prophecy, what it does as God speaks through us, and I'm gonna go through this really quick as a teaching, prophecy encourages the people. Verse three, it says that through the prophetic gift, the people are what? They're built up and they're encouraged as we prophesy. Say, here's the thing. We have an appetite for teaching and we should. I believe in the primacy of teaching and preaching. And teaching is so important because it's God using my voice, this redhead who's glowing like a lobster today, using a human voice to tell people about God's character. I do that every single Sunday and it's absolutely important. Right, Dr. Stan? Teaching and, pro- and, and preaching is absolutely essential. However, prophecy is so important, it's as essential because prophecy or the prophetic gift reveals God to the human heart. In fact, in verse 24, we find that, and Paul says, hey, I want you to practice this prophetic gift because it's God speaking through you. It could be possible that someone who doesn't know God comes in, God gives you a word and speaks through you and it discloses the secrets of the heart and this person who didn't know Jesus before will fall down on his face praising God because God is real. I just have to wonder one of the reasons why and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say this over and over and over again but one of the reasons why that People don't come in and fall on their face is because we become so predictable. We have just simply an appetite for nice abstract teaching, but we don't have a high expectation for God to speak into the condition of our lives. So people are not odd anymore when they come to church. It might be odd over maybe a brilliant rhetorical message, but we're not odd over the reality of the presence of God. And my desire, both Kel and I, we've prayed over this many times and we pray this over our church is we want to build this church, number one, on the foundation of God's word, number two, on the reality of his voice and his presence in our lives. So in a way, prophecy can do what teaching can't. And hear me. Teaching is absolutely important. I'm not going to stop teaching and get up here, get some spandex on and start prophesying like a crazy person. Okay. For the rest of the, my, my tenure here at tenure, like what, what the rest of the here at the church, like, no, I believe in teaching, but prophecy somehow it, it short circuits our abstractions. It short circuits our experiences it short circuits our cultural baggage or just our, our wrong toxic thinking that we might have about ourselves or about God or about the church. And what prophecy does is it bypasses all of that and it goes straight to the heart and it reveals the very love and the presence of God. It's one thing to know that God loves you because a redhead has been telling you that God loves you. It's another thing to have someone come to you that you don't even know reveal to you a couple things about what's happening in your life and then give you an encouraging word 
and then they pray for you, that's an altogether different kind of reality. It causes awe. Are you with me? You guys think I'm weird this morning? As, as one author said, hey, the foundation of our life is scripture. If you're wondering, does this church, if you're new here, does, does this church believe in biblical orthodoxy? Absolutely. I don't think there's a church out there that, that's more orthodox than us. I don't know, maybe there is. Are we perfect? No, we're not perfect. But we're very orthodox. The scripture, the story of God is our foundation. But the shape of our life is prophetic. The shape of our life is prophetic. The arc of our life is prophetic. Again, what is prophetic? Does prophetic mean that we just do weird things? And we say weird things and we just mutter like in, you know, incomprehensible sentences or whatever and we intone or whatever. However you conceptualize prophetic, no. Prophetic is simply God speaking through us for the sake of an individual and a group. And we should have a high expectation for God to do that. Now, if you were to remove the prophetic from my life, you would remove most of the ways in which God has spoken to me. Yes, the primary way that God has spoken to me is through his word. But I, I'm going to tell you, God in so many particular moments of my life has come to me with a prophetic word. And those prophetic words have had such major impact on my life that they've changed the arc of where I was going. It helped me make decisions. It brought the love of God into my heart. I don't know if I would be here today if it wasn't for the prophetic. The prophetic of my life, the prophetic, excuse me, is the shape of my life. But the foundation of my life is the word of God. First Timothy chapter one, verse 18 says this. Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you that by them you may wage the good warfare. You may wage the good warfare. You may fight the good fight of faith. You, 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 prophecy, in other words, God speaking through other people to us is so foundational that it, that it brings the necessary anointing and grace and power and resilience and strength and wisdom and all the things that God wants to bring to us to navigate, as I mentioned last week, all the difficulties that we find in life personally and corporately and even in our culture. Can I get an amen to that? So the prophetic gift is absolutely indispensable. In fact, I remember um, about two years ago, a friend, a really close friend of, my here, of mine here in the church came to church. He was a little bit down, but as he set foot inside the church, God spoke to him. And uh, he felt like he was, go, he was supposed to go to such and such and encourage him. So he decides to go to this person to encourage him. As he went to this person, he really starts to encourage him. Hey, I just felt like this is what the Holy Spirit was saying to me to tell you. This other person looked at him kind of like wide-eyed and said, that's funny because God told me I was supposed to come and to encourage you. And then he, he started to encourage my friend and started speaking the word of God over my friend. And they both left encouraged. That's the kind of church that we should be a part of. I think many times, and 
there's no judgment in what I'm about to say, but I think many times we come to church and we just expect or we wait, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, for the pastor to bring the message to us. Well, what if, yes, I'm going to do that, but what if we all had a high expectation that God was going to speak to us so we could speak to someone else at least one time every single Sunday? Or not just on Sundays, right? Let's not relegate the activity of the Holy Spirit in creation to just a two-hour service on Sunday. God certainly wants to move throughout our week. Can I get an amen to that? So the shape of our life is prophetic. The foundation of our life, again, in the words of one pastor, is our foundation. So what are some, as I close here, what are some ways that we can grow in the prophetic gift? Well, number one, we have to begin with a question. The question is, are you in tune with the Holy Spirit? Are you in tune with the Holy Spirit? Jesus said this, if you have ears, let him hear. So what Jesus is implying is hearing isn't automatic just because you have ears. Or you could say it this way, hearing uh, isn't automatic just because you can hear. Jesus, what are you talking about? Hearing isn't automatic just because you can hear. The question is, are you in tune with the Holy Spirit? I'm going to read John chapter 15, 1 through 8. And Jesus says, I am the true vine and the Father is the vine dresser. Verse 2. Do we have that? I think we do. No? I could totally do it off memory, but they got verse 2 for me. So thank you guys. I was going to show off my skills. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more Fruit. Isn't it funny? The award for faithfulness is pruning. Because God wants you to be, become more fruitful. That's, that's powerful. We'll talk more about that again or later down the road. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Verse 4. Abide in me and then I in you. Or remain in me is one translation has and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I'm the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and I in him he it is that bears much fruit from apart from me you can do nothing so the burden for us or the responsibility for us is what it's not fruitfulness it's faithfulness we are called to be faithful, to be in tune, or to abide or remain with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that will bring fruitfulness out of, are you hearing me, out of our life. So if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if we get verse 7 up there. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Finally, verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So the question here is all about, man, fruitfulness is the result of you being in tune with the Holy Spirit. It's learning to abide in the presence of God through his words, through prayer, through worship on a very consistent basis. And, and when you're simply being with Jesus every single day, what and you'll find this. And many of you will, will say yes to this because you have found this to be true in your life. When you are with Jesus, there's this complex entangling of your will or your wills. In other words, God's will starts to slowly, because some of you have a really hard heart because you're, you're a San Francisco 49er fan, okay? 
But over time, as you spend time with Jesus, your will gets entangled or caught up in the will of the Father. So you begin to almost imperceptibly will what the Father wills. So this whole passage in Genesis chapter, or excuse me, John chapter 15 is all about fruitfulness, but it's all about prayer. And the reason why Jesus says with confidence, whatever you ask, I will give to you because he can say that because he has confidence that you will pray the will of the father because you have been abiding in the words of Jesus. Did I make that clear? I was a little, it's first service, a little scrambled in my brain there. But I want to make it very clear that as you remain and abide and as you are in tune with the Holy Spirit, your will will become entangled. And then what happens is, is the overflow of being in tune with the Holy Spirit is prophetic. It just happens. If God is a prophetic God, God who speaks, and you are spending time with him, the overflow of that is prophetic. So you'll start speaking the words of God because you've been abiding with the God who speaks. I keep on hitting puberty every single week lately. Number one, are you in tune? Number two, though, um, I want to ask the question when it comes to growing in the prophetic, would you want God to speak? Would you want him to speak? Because, now I, I, here's the thing. I think first we got to get rid of the idea that, and Henry Nowen said the reason why we don't pray, the reason why we're not disclosing our emotions or directing our emotions to the Holy Spirit is because we're afraid that God is more demanding than loving, and that's absolutely false. God loves you with an everlasting love. And I think many times when we come to the Holy Spirit, we're just like, oh man, you're going to make me go to some distant foreign land and make me translate the Bible. And I'm going to spend 15 years trying to figure out how to do that. And then I'm going to marry someone I don't want to marry. That's what I used to think when I was 15. Okay. So maybe that's not your issue. It was my issue. Like we just have weird thoughts about when we come to the Holy Spirit, he's going to make us do something that we might not want. That's sort of not true. Yes, God is more loving than demanding. Can I get an amen to that church? But within the scope of God's love, God will challenge us. So would you want God to speak? Would you obey if he spoke to you? Would you step out in faith if he spoke to you? Would you do what you hear God speaking to you? Would you respond? Would you listen and I think many times because we're afraid to risk and some of it is because we feel like we can't be vulnerable in church and like if I was to hear God speak and I went to someone uh, in the church and I said something and they're like, no, that's not me and you failed, you're like, oh my gosh, what would the church think of me? Hey, the safest place to be is I think in the church, it should be. And we should practice hearing the voice of God. No one bats a thousand, guys. I have failed a few times when it's coming to the prophetic. But in, in, in a weird way, and this isn't to say, oh, okay, now we're going to embrace heresy. That's not what I'm suggesting. 
right? Oh, we're going to embrace weird stuff now. No, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just simply saying that, hey, in a community of love, we should expect to be vulnerable. That means we can risk when we hear the voice of God, because the only way you're going to be able to identify and learn the voice of God is by stepping out in faith, being vulnerable, and communicating what God has put in your heart for someone else. If you don't risk, if you don't obey, if you don't step out in faith, you'll never be able to identify that voice in your head or in your heart or that impression or that picture with the voice of the Holy Spirit. So we must be willing to step out in faith. Number three, I think one of the reasons why we struggle with the prophetic or hearing the voice of God is because we outsource, as I mentioned a little bit before, we outsource hearing the voice of God to the professional, right? Like we let, we let the, the guy on the podcast do all the work of listening to the Holy Spirit and they pray a lot. We assume they pray a lot and they do their, their homiletic stuff and they get ready and it's, if we go to our podcast or we come on a Sunday and we listen to the pastor, the preacher, the teacher, and we're like, yes, I heard God's voice. And I think that's important. We should do that. But I think one of the reasons we outsource our hearing of the voice of God to the professional is because it's simply easier to do that. It's easier for me to be a fan and to root for the Cowboys every single Sunday than to actually be a Dallas Cowboy playing football every single day. It's just qualitatively different, right? You following me? The same is true of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to make it hard for you just to simply hear f- from me on a Sunday. And I want you to hear from me on a Sunday. I want us to build a culture where we, are, where we believe that we need to take responsibility because we take the voice of God seriously. And we're gonna take responsibility for hearing the voice of God for ourselves because God wants to speak to you and not just to you. God wants to speak through you for the sake of other people, not only in this room, but other people in this city who do not know God and they need the, the secrets of their heart to be disclosed. They need the voice of God to come into their situation because we are living, come on somebody, as, we've been, as, as we were worshiping and as Mark was praying, Uh, preaching to us and as Shane was leading us, we're living in an age of this unsympathetic reality of anxiety and loneliness and death and destruction and corruption. You could take this all the way back to time itself to the very beginning. People in this world need to hear the real voice of God. So let's not outsource the voice of God to the professional. For one of the reasons why we struggle Uh, with hearing the voice of God is we spatialize our our world. And I've talked about this a lot. Acts chapter 17, however, says this, in him we live, we move, and we have our being. So what does to spatialize our world mean? Well, it simply means this idea that there's an upstairs, downstairs cosmology. Some of you are rolling your eyes. Don't roll your eyes at me. What I want to say is if we're going to hear the voice of God, we got to develop a proper perspective on biblical cosmology. Cosmology is just how the way the world works. I'll just define it as that. And the reason why we spatialize our world is because we have some bad teaching and I I just, and it's also because, you know, light waves travel 186,000 miles per second. The end of the universe is 50 billion, scientists tell us 50 billion light years away. So we just assume that heaven, everyone say heaven, or God's presence is like way out there. So how could God actually speak to me? 
But that's not a proper way of seeing the world. That's out there. That's how our world sees the presence of God. But Acts 17 says, it's in him we live and move and have our being. In Genesis 21, Hagar is about ready to lose her life and her son's her son is, is about ready to pass away. And it says that heaven opens up and God speaks to her. Where's heaven? It's not 50 billion light years away. Heaven just, it's another dimension. It opens up and God speaks to her right there. Isn't that powerful? I have to move on. You're not that excited about that point. Okay. Number five, as we, as we uh, land this plane, I, I think we can no longer overlook God's voice for the spectacle or the mystical. I think one of the reasons why we don't hear God speaking is because we assume God only speaks through an audible voice and he can certainly do that or God speaks through a burning bush or God speaks through a mystical experience. Therefore, because we haven't had any of those, God hasn't spoken to us. However, what we find in scripture and what we find in our lives as you as you mature in your relationship with Jesus is that the primary way that God speaks to us through his word is also through his still small voice. Like, here's the thing. My wife and I talk differently about things than we talk to our children about things. In other words, I can talk to my kids about hard things or big things, but I have to be very dramatic, Right? My two-year-olds, if I want to explain anything that's conceptually maybe a little bit hard for them, like on, it's a sixth grade level, I have to like, like do weird things with my face. I have to change my voice, right? Even when I'm reading to them, I have to be so dramatic, right? I have to talk, you know, are you hearing me, parents? You just, you got to be just demonstrative with your, with your kids in order for them to hear, right? Many people think dramatic the dramatic voice of God equals or is equivalent to maturity in Jesus. That's not always the case. God will speak to us in dramatic ways, but many times the reason why God speaks to us in dramatic ways is because of our immaturity, not our maturity. Now, mature people can experience dramatic things. Can I get an amen? I'm just saying that God's, I think, preferred way of speaking to us is through his still small voice. Amen. Finally, how do we grow in the, de- uh, in the development of the prophetic gift? First Corinthians 14 tells us in verse one, you have to be earnest. You have to be earnest. You have to be in tune with the Holy Spirit, right? You gotta walk in step with him. You gotta be willing to step out and take a, a risk. Uh, you can't spatialize the world. You really gotta believe that God wants to speak. You can't overlook the voice of God for the spectacle or the mystical. You got to believe that God speaks to us in still small ways. And that means we got to slow down our lives so we can listen to him. But we also have to be earnest for the prophetic gift. We're earnest about a lot of things. That word earnest in the original language is built out of a verb, which means to boil over. Means to glow like I'm glowing today. What it, 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 it has a connotation of being zealous or passionate. It also has a negative connotation of coveting, right? So there's an intensity of desire and feeling packed into this word earnest. I remember I was earnest to be with my wife. I wanted, before I, before I um, was married, I could not wait to spend time with my wife, right? When we were dating and she was in a different city, 
there was an earnest, a, a desire to be with her, to talk with her, to spend time with her. That's the desire that God wants us to have for the prophetic, right? Now we have that kind of desire for worship and we should, and we have that desire for teaching and we should, and we have that desire for other things. But I want us to be a church that also develops or cultivates that warmth of feeling to believe that God wants to speak through me to other people. And everyone said, amen. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, as your eyes are closed, you don't, you, you're not going to offend me this morning if, if you don't want this, but I'm, I'm going to get this church to the point where this is something that we're going to practice on a consistent basis, that we're going to believe that God will speak to us, that we're not going to be surprised that God would speak to us. But I'm not going to be offended if this is something you don't want. I'm a big boy. But if this is something, a desire that you want, you want to see fulfilled, you want to open up your life to God's voice, you want to hear God speak, not just in a self-serving way, but you want to hear God speak to you because you want to minister and bring encouragement to other people. You want to grow, not in this gift, but in this reality that God has for all of us. I want to make this very clear. Prophecy is not just for five people who travel around the world and give grand prophetic announcements. No, prophecy, this prophetic gift, is for every follower of Jesus. And if this is something that you want, you're like, okay, and maybe this is like something, okay, I, I'm not sure about this, but I'm curious and I want to open up my life to God's voice. Could you just stand right now and I want to pray for you? Again, if you're like, I need, to, I need to wait, I'm not sure, that's totally fine. Don't feel pressured this morning. All right, as you're standing, take your hand, put it on your heart. Father, I thank you that, God, you speak to us. I thank you that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. I thank you that you are a God who speaks your immense, powerful word into our lives. And I thank you as we're standing, our hearts are wide open and we say yes. Everyone say yes. We say yes to you, Holy Spirit. We say yes to your voice. Speak through us for the sake of people in this church. Speak through us for the sake of people in our city. Speak through us for the sake of the people in this word, world. Father, we thank you that your word is alive. It's active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts between the soul and the marrow and the joints. And it, it, and it transforms our lives. So, Father, we thank you for this, this prophetic reality. And I thank you that you would help us to get in tune. Everyone say, get in tune. 
to get in tune this, this week with you as we abide in your presence. Develop that high expectation to hear your voice. And I declare miracles are going to happen. Come on, church. I declare miracles are going to happen this week. I declare healing is going to happen this week. Come on, church. I declare a move of God in this city. Come on, people. Come on. We speak it and we declare it and we prophesy over our city that God is going to move in a fresh way. We thank you that God has done incredible things in the past. And that is a pattern for us to believe that God can today do an incredible work in our lives and in our city and around the world. And our desire here at Capital Christian is to be a part of that in Jesus name. So we open up our lives, our hearts, our minds to you. King Jesus, speak because we're listening. And everyone said, amen. Can you give God a hand? Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.